Good evening. Tonight we continue our study on biblical parenting, uh, which of course has broader ramifications than just parenting. It includes our Sunday school, our children's program, grandparenting, uncling, aunting, all those kinds of things uh, that involve yourself with children. We looked at the four categories of growth that God expects us, our children to have. They should grow in favor with God and with men was the last two categories. What was the first one? They should grow in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and in favor with men. So these are the four categories we are developing. We've already gone through in wisdom. We've already gone through growing in stature. We are working on growing in favor with God. Uh, which you might say, well, that's the most emphatic one. That's the one we should really be focused on for our children. Uh, and certainly it is important, but to say that it is uh, not intimately connected to the others is wrong. Uh, because they, you do not grow lopsided children. You don't want one part of their body to grow to the detriment or, to, or outgrow the other parts. It gets kind of weird. Now, do some parts grow faster than others uh, before others catch up? Certainly. But we should be developing all of these together. Can we close that door? The double doors? Is someone still out there? Julie's still out there. Let's go ahead and close those. So, we're coming to the, uh, and, and we've been using an acrostic. I'm sorry, i got to catch everybody up. We've been using an acrostic as our outline. Uh, we've been talking about discipline as the D. We talked then about instruction, the I. We talked about authority, the A. We talked about provision, the P. And example, the E, and rebellion, recognizing rebellion as the R. So the acrostic is D-I-A-P-E-R, which is diaper. And so how we were learning the diapers of helping our children to grow. So in the category of growing in favor with God, we come to the P, which is provision. And remember, we talked about the uh, authority and instruction, or I'm sorry, instruction combined with example. And we're going to do the same thing tonight with provision, because the first provision you need to be making for your children is your own personal life, your own example of living a life that is in favor with God, that seeks out his favor. Now remember, we're talking about growing in favor with God. This is something you earn. And we looked at all the passages when we talked about that word, that this is something you achieve, you acquire by your uh, obedience by your Christian living. We're not talking about salvation, that grace and mercy. We're not talking about growing or, or achieving or acquiring his grace. That's, you can't, because as soon as you earn it, it is wages. It is, it is not grace. So we're not talking about salvation. Salvation we, we handled under the discussion of growing in wisdom. So this is not, you might think, well, my whole purpose of growing my child in favor with God is that they might get saved. That's really tied to wisdom because we looked at the fact that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And that this is the process of salvation being described under wisdom. That when we want, so while we talk about it as mental, it is much more than that, and that's why they are all interwoven into each other. And it is foolishness to think I'm going to address this 
part of my child and not this part. And so the idea that our intellect is not engaged in our, in our spiritual decisions is foolishness. We all know that, that we, we come let us reason together, the Bible says, you know, in, in the prophets. And so uh, there, we have a reasonable faith, and God engages us and invites us to engage him on a reasonable level. And so with our children. So we're not talking so much about salvation. We already discussed that. We're talking about growing in favor, doing those things that God looks with favor upon and wants to reward, that he wants to uh, show us that he is pleased with what we are doing. So favor all through Scripture is something earned. It is something deserved. And and thus, um, it is something that we have to contribute to this, and we want to develop that in our children. And again, the biggest thing in every one of these categories that we're studying is that we don't want to confuse these two to our children. We don't want them to think that because we've taught them how to walk in favor with God, that that equals they have a relationship with God. All right, we want to always keep those distinct. Well, this is what pleases God, but until you have trusted in him and become his followers, it's just self-righteousness and God thinks that's disgusting because you're trying to please him without trusting and obeying him or following after him. And so we don't want to replace a relationship with God with religious ritual. Um, Too many have done that in too many places with disastrous results. And there's going to be a lot of people. Jesus said, many will come to me in that day, the day of judgment, and say, but I did all these things in your name. And he says, I depart from me, I never knew you. You are workers of iniquity. So we need to communicate to our children that doing all these things, going to church and all the things we could talk about, about the Christian life that we have invested in already and we're going to continue tonight, if we communicate these things as somehow this equals a right relation with God, we're doing an enormous disservice to our children. Just as we're doing an enormous disservice to one another if we confuse that that the Christian walk can be confused with a relationship with God. It is built on a relationship with God. It cannot replace a relationship with God. And we need to demonstrate that and communicate that very clearly to our children, is that um, while you are doing these things because you're in my household, and we do these together as a family, and we, and we appreciate these and emphasize these in our home, they are no replacement for a right relationship with God that is derived from repentance, and um, uh, a faith declaration, all right? You believe in your heart and profess, confess it with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord. You cannot replace that. And so uh, we're beyond that now. We're, we're, we're setting those parameters. We know those boundaries exist. We are still focusing in on wisdom, but we also want to address their spiritual development How can we communicate to our children these are the things that please God? And in the area P, which is provision, the number one provision that you need to make for your child is your own self. Your relationship with God needs to be on display to them. That you are doing things to please God. And so when your children ask you why, you you are doing what you're doing. It is not, well, because this is how we always do it. Or this is, be, it's not tradition. It is because this is what pleases God. And we talked about that last week extensively as well. That that's the authority we keep going back to. Now, 
once we get the example established, that's primary. And I, we, we talked a lot about that last week. We're going to come back to it several times tonight. But uh, once we get the example established, now we want to drive home the particulars of it and provide for them. And I think all of you know the necessity of this, and I think many of you are doing it. So if we understand the disciplines of the Christian life, which we did under D, we understand what we need to provide for our children to participate in that. So what kind of things, and we know the authority, and we know the basis of our instruction. So what do we need to provide our children that they might grow in favor with God? Very quickly, you should be able to just pop these things out. What do we need to provide for them, besides an example? Prayer. Scripture. Fellowship with other Christians. Going to church. Songs, singing. What else? <laughs> Work ethic. <laughs> Discipline. What else do we need to provide them? We also need to provide for them to participate in giving. These are all facets of the Christian walk that we know are pleasing to God and of witnessing. We need to provide them opportunities. Essentially, as a parent, what you're doing is you're providing your child access to the tools that they will employ once they receive Christ as their Savior. Once they make a commitment to follow after Christ, that you want to have provided them the tools so that they can now bring those things into their life and put them into full practice and maybe even develop them beyond where you have lived and walked, beyond your Christian life, into even a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. But your responsibility, in my understanding of God's Word, is that you give them access to these tools. that they learn what they are, they learn how to use them, and what they just want to, if they decide not to become followers of Christ, they will sit on the shelves of their life and collect dust and will do them no good and they will, they'll be condemned by God for it. But your responsibility is to give them those tools, give them access to them. And so we give them access to the Word of God. Right, well, how do we do that? Well, we already talked about you're going to teach them to read, right? And write, read, write, and reading, writing, and no, not arithmetic. <laughs> we're not worried about the math there. Um, and speak. I'm sorry. There we go. Speak it, hear it, um, write it, read it. So those four methods of learning, speaking it, hearing it, writing it, reading it. And so... We want to engage that. We want to give them access to God's Word. They should be learning to read their Bibles very early. It should be the, the, the source of their vocabulary words. The first vocabulary words they need are the ones that are precious to the Scripture. They need to know these words to benefit their study of God's Word. We want to give them access and this is what all of our children's programs are built around, is we want to give these children access to the tools that they can then use the rest of their days, or they can ignore the rest of their days. That's their choice. Remember, we are not determinists. It's not that if you do these things that you are guaranteed this outcome. Absolutely not. They have self-authority. They must choose for themselves who they will be. Okay, But you're going to give them the tools. 
access to God's word. You're going to give them access to the church. You're going to give them access uh, to other believers, mature believers. You want to give them access to other evidences of God's faithfulness to people's lives. And if, and as a young parent, because you're a parent, you're younger, okay, because once you're my age, you're not really called a parent anymore because I've raised children. They're now adults. I've raised adults. So, um, but as a parent, uh, you don't have all the answers, and you need to give your children access to those that can supplement what you are showing them in the house, in the household. And um, that's why we talk about the necessity of grandparenting of, within the church as well, of having access. Why do they need that? Well, they, not just because your children will always listen to someone more than they listen to you. Do you ever notice that when you, that, well, I've been, you can tell them till you're blue in the face and then somebody else shows up and says this and your kid goes, oh yeah, let's, yeah, and all of a sudden they're all for it. And it's like, like they'd never heard that before. Well, we, we've told it to them over and over and over again, but when this other guy comes in and has some kind of credential or some, some thing and says the very same thing that I've been saying, all of a sudden, they're all in on that, and I'm like, yeah, I think I've said that before. Um, but there is that familiarity breeds contempt. <laughs> There's that idea that they just don't appreciate because it's so familiar to them. But So we give them access not only to God's Word, but also to mature Christians. We give them access to the fellowship. This is so very important that Jesus Christ talked about it in Matthew. Right? You, you know the context of this. The disciples were trying to keep back the children. Um, you know, he doesn't have time for you. Uh, we're going to, you know, this is something really important. And all these adults are waiting. They all have important things. They have real questions to ask. They have, they should be granted first access. And here's what Jesus had to say. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. Um. And this isn't the only one, but it's one of them. This is Christ using a child to teach. It's not the exact uh, one I just described for you, but we know that one is there. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Samuel, are you still here? Sammy, come here a second. That's amazing. All right, now Samuel just obeyed me. Came walk, he was unafraid to come up to me, and he held his hands out and let me pick him up. That's amazing. Jesus uses a little child to show what it means to believe, to trust. You have to come to God as a little child. Not when you're little, not the age, but the manner in which he did this. He had a great big smile on his face when he came up here, huh? Now you're scared to death, aren't you? <laughs> here, we'll, we'll just ignore all them, okay? It's just you and me. That's not any better, is it? You know they're there. All right, so Sam did a great job. He did exactly what Jesus needed him to do. You would have been spectacular back then. So good job. Thanks. Can you go sit down? All right. Do you, do you mind that I did this? Eh, okay. <laughs> You'll think about that. Thank you, Samuel. Go sit down. 
This is how you have to come to Christ. He says, come, I'm there. He holds his hands out to you. Didn't, I didn't say anything. I'll take it. Here I come. And he lets me hold him. That's a very humiliating position. Okay? Um, you don't think about it because uh, you're not a child anymore. But um, if I invited you up here and put my hands out and picked you up, you'd be kind of like, a lot of you would be nervous. All these moms are like, if you drop me and hurt my baby, you could never lift me because I'm carrying those. Um, you know, it's humbling, isn't it? This is how you have to come to Christ. Take me up in your arms. And once you're into someone's arms like that, I had complete control, and he trusted me to keep him, to hold him, and he relinquished. He relinquished himself to me. I don't think we appreciate all that's involved there. So Jesus Christ uses that example to show humility, but then he goes a little bit further, and this is wonderful. Verse 5, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes, verse 6 is the fright, most, one of the most frightening verses out there. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses comes, the offense comes. So he takes this, and we already had the illustration of Jesus Christ says, don't prohibit the little children from coming to me. And now that is multiplied by saying, if you cause this child, you give cause, an offense that causes this child who so, would, so willingly believe in me to sin, and that sin he's talking about is unbelief, to move him from from natural inclination to want to believe to an inclination to not believe, if you do that to him, then it'd be better for you if you weren't born. It would be better for you to have a horrible death than what you have to face when you face God. Think about that. If you cause one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for you if, a mill, you were, if you were cast at sea with a millstone around you. If you were drowned at sea, it would be better for you than to prohibit or inhibit a child's spiritual life. Their natural tendency is to trust. They learn distrust. They don't learn sin, but they, because sin is in them, they express it very early on. Um, and they learn these things, but they, are, they, they don't have to learn these things, but they do learn distrust. They learn it. Sometimes they learn it very, very, very young by a really cruel newborn. A, a newborn treated cruelly um, is going to have trust issues for a long time. Those first six months, those first 18 months are so critical to the development of this. So they can, even very early, before they can communicate anything, learn not to trust uh, but they can learn that all the way along. And it takes an extraordinary amount of effort to, to undo that. And that's why Jesus Christ says, you do this to a child, you are doing a, a great wickedness against them. It would be better for you if you were dead. That you never had children. That would be better off. 
But Jesus Christ says, do not keep the little children from coming to me. He has said that in the other event, and here we have this event, this teaching and using a child saying, this is how you have to come to me. So while we are here providing, we are providing access to Jesus. We're providing access to his word. And this is your responsibility, is to provide consistently. And hopefully these are all realities in your own life. Because you are the first example, right? You're first. You lead an example. First thing you have to provide. And now you're providing access to all these things. To um, these tools that we use in our Christian walk. Uh, these are the, the things we use to uh, be faithful. That we uh, develop spiritually. That we mature. That we're in God's word. And so we need to communicate that to our children. Give them access to all those things. We, you need to provide that. And I recognize that children are where life clubs don't have that access. And so that's why we give them Bibles for free, because mom and dad aren't going to give them one. It's not on the top list, but our responsibility is to give them access to it. And that's why wherever Christianity has gone as a, into... Um, uh, undeveloped places, um, language has always gone. We, have, uh, we teach people to read. Why? Because we want them access to God's Word. We do translation work. Why? We want to give them access to God's Word. This is a tool by which they will hear the truth. Faith comes by hearing. They don't have to read it because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. They can hear it and believe. But to really develop they need to be able to study it on their own. And unless they have it, someone reading to them constantly out loud, which a blind person needs, all right, unless they have Braille. Um, but when I, when I went to Cuba, one of the things I took to Cuba, because faith comes by hearing, is right here in, in Albuquerque. Um, I took them Spanish uh, audio Bibles. And lo and behold, there was a blind man. I think it was a man. I didn't get to actually meet him. Uh, that they took it to, and he was just thrilled with his audio Bible. He could listen to God's Word every day. And, but pretty much they need to read. They need to have access to God's Word. They need to learn to read. That's why literacy has always gone with the Gospel, because they need access. And so the primary reason you're trying to teach your child to read is to read God's Word. So it only makes sense that their vocabulary needs to be developed in accordance with God's Word. And it is a frightening thing when I read a scripture and I ask 13-year-olds, what does this word mean? And they have no clue. Zero. And then we wonder why they aren't obeying God or interested in the gospel. They are ignorant. Ignorance can be fixed. Stupidity can't. Okay? They are ignorant. Whose fault is that? Mom and dad's. Don't blame the school system, mom and dad. You don't need a school system to learn to read because people learn to read without school a long, long, lot, a lot, a lot of years, okay, before there ever was school. It's your responsibility. If we want them to know God's Word, we're going to give them access to education. We want them to learn to read. We want to build their vocabulary. And that's why when we tossed the Bible out of our public schools back in 1962, the year I was born, um, we, it wasn't just prayer, it was the Bible. And in fact, in 1962, the Bible was still part of the curriculum in the Dallas school system. 
yeah, you had to bring a Bible to school. Let that register a little bit. Even when I was in high school, it was an elective class. The Bible as literature was an elective lit class that you could take, which I did. And um, I thought it was kind of funny because it was, it was easy peasy. You know, it was, I knew what a concordance was. I knew all the books of the Bible. And I, because I learned it at home. And I learned it at my church. I learned it in my youth group club. And I memorized those things. And, and this is our responsibility. Give them access. Access to God's word. We need to give them access to all the things we, we, we just popped right off. Of experiencing that and seeing it in your life. Do not withhold that. Now, all of you knew what to answer. This is what they need because you knew what it takes to grow as a Christian. So they need access. You need to provide them access to all those things. And you already know that, so we don't have to reinvent that at all, because you know they need access to God's Word. You, need, you know they need access to uh, these resources you're using, the church, uh, mature believers, uh, prayer, all those things you talk about, giving. Uh, you need to teach that very young to your children. They should know that you give, and they should be taught uh, to have a spirit of, of giving, that this is part of our expression of worship, is to give. Um, I don't teach tithes because it's an Old Testament concept that's more comparable to what you pay in taxes. Um, but we do have thank offerings described in Scripture. We have other offerings beyond the tithes. And uh, that's where we come into play. And, and we need to teach those things. We need to give them opportunity to do it. Now, when don't they have an opportunity to give as a parent? And we did this, and I kind of regret doing it because... I didn't give my children enough opportunity to give. When, do, when did they get that they can give? Ah, good. Birthday money. Birthday money. Now, we did a horrible thing because my kids never saw their birthday money. All they knew is that their little bank account, their little, their little Norwest back then, which became something else, became something else, and, and eventually became Wells Fargo, I think, but, um, uh, you know, they didn't, they're, they're, we went to the bank and they got money put into their account. Well, that was really rotten of me. I should have put it in their hands and said, what are you going to do with that? As a teaching tool. To say, well, and to give them an opportunity to give. I, I didn't give them access to that. They still had access to cash sometimes from other sources, I don't know if they had a lot of access to cash from me um, or my wife, but um, we put it right into their bank account. But they didn't have access to that, and they didn't have an opportunity to take from that and to give. And so we kind of robbed them of that. Of that, I didn't provide them opportunity to, to be generous, to be givers. Um, all those expressions of worship to sing. We should be giving our children opportunity to sing. You should be giving them, first of all, an example of it, and then opportunity to do it. They should hear you singing. Um, they should hear you singing Christian songs, not just in church, but all through the day. They should hear you singing. They should hear dad singing. They should hear mom singing. They should hear dad and mom singing. Um, singing is worship. And worship doesn't just happen at church. And we should give them access to that.
And that's a pretty easy one. But we should be providing them these opportunities to engage in all this activity. Not to replace a relationship with God, but to give them the tools so that when they have a relationship with God, they can immediately put them into place. They are already familiar with them. They are already comfortable with them. And um, they can now put a substantial amount of meaning to it. But to keep that, to hold them back from that, Worse, it would be better off dead than being a parent that did that. Now, there's one facet I want to spend the last little bit of time on in this area of provision. This provision for their spiritual growth to, to acquire the favor of God is only as effectual in their lives as it is consistent in your provision. Imagine if you only fed your kids once or twice a week. Or if you fed them really well for a month and then took a month off. Is that going to help them out to grow in stature? Obviously not. Could they survive that? Yes, children do survive that in many places, but it, what we call that starvation, hunger. And they can... So they can survive for a while. Um, they don't need three meals a day, but that's, it's probably better for them to have like five meals a day that are a lot smaller. But they, they can go a day or two without food. It can be done. Um, in Nineveh, they went quite a ways, and nobody ate, including the animals. None of the children ate. Everyone was in sackcloth, ashes, and fasting and got God's attention. And they, what did they receive from God? His pleasure. Repentance was first, but then they added this. And so, yes, children can, but what happens? I say, well, that's not really good for them. That's why we don't do it very often. And it's kind of interesting, God's word, that God proscribes in the law feasting. He never proscribes fasting. You do that of your own choice. He prescribes feasting. And, and when we look at our spiritual care of our children, are you providing these access faithfully, consistently, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out? Is this their provision or is it hit and miss? Get a little bit now and then it might be a few weeks and they get a little bit. Um, this, is, this is horrible. What are you ingraining in your children? It's not essential. It's not a priority. It's not the most important thing. You're communicating to your children that food, which you never miss a day of, is more important than their spiritual life, than reading God's word, than prayer, than any of those, than fellowship with saints, than fill in the blank of all things you listed earlier. You're communicating something. This isn't the highest priority. And then when you have other things that come in and trump spiritual growth every single time, you're communicating something to your children. You're causing a sin in their life. It would be better off that you be dead than parent this way, people. A child wants to be faithful to God. They want to obey. They want to be held in his arms. They want to please him. I, I, if I get a group of five-year-olds together, and I ask them, do you want, they all want to please God. 
They all do. They learn not to trust him from us. Because we show them how. How to deprioritize it. And so there's an inconsistency there. And I'm, I, I'm, I struggle with this because I, I am a spurter as well. I, I, I engage in activity with a lot of focus, and then I take a little break. And then I engage in activity with a lot of focus, and I take a break. And that can be kind of frustrating. My wife is the exact opposite. She is just the poomp, poomp, poomp. Every day, she's got the schedule down of exact, every week, exactly the same. And, and, and I'm good with that, and it's really good for our kids, um, and I'm not that way. And so I go crazy berserk and get a lot done, and then I say, oh, I'm going to take a little break. Um, and I did that with my writing. I do that with sometimes with my study, and, and I'll crank out six, seven sermons, and then, um, then just kind of work them over in my brain after I've done a lot of study in a short period of time. And, and it, I'm not saying that one's right, one's wrong, but I'm saying your children need to see a faithfulness. You know, we're erratic in our provision of giving them access. You're doing a great disservice because you are communicating something to them. You're communicating priorities. And you're communicating um, that somehow this is acceptable to God when it isn't. God is faithful. Do you really want him to engage you like you engage him? You know, only occasionally, a few times a week. No, we want to communicate faithfulness. And so um, you can't just be on a quick spurt. Um, they're looking at the long term. You can't let other things interrupt it. And we have this complete priority. Um, we don't let other things interrupt our mealtime. Um, and we don't let other things interrupt um, our entertainment. It's amazing the things we don't allow to interrupt entertainment that will certainly interrupt our spiritual growth. In fact, we don't even let church interrupt our entertainment. That's our priority. Children pick up on that. Oh, this is more important than that. The Super Bowl is more important than church. Right? Who tells them that? The church. Because we can't have church on Sunday night on Super Bowl Sunday uh, unless we have the Super Bowl on the screen during the service. And many churches do that now. That's their Super Bowl outreach. And um, what are we communicating? <laughs> What's the priority? And so how you do this needs to be faithful, needs to be consistent. You need to give them this access this, that's what your provision is, but don't provide it once or occasionally. It needs to be consistently provided. That's one of the reasons we, when we were choosing a program to engage in as a church, we went with one that focused in on daily quiet times. Now, do I expect these children to do their quiet times every day? No, my own children didn't do them. They'd sit down like on, if the club is on Wednesday night, they would sit down Wednesday afternoon and crank out a week's worth. All right, so, but at least every Wednesday they got it done so they'd be ready for Wednesday night. Um, but they knew that there's a day of the week with each passage. That what we really want them to do is to get in God's Word every day. And to read that and do that. That that's that daily feeding that they need. And that should be consistent week by week. That the only thing that interrupts our worship, our corporate uh, gatherings 
our time in God's word. Our, the only thing that interrupts those things are serious matters that are unavoidable. You know, I mean, if I'm in the hospital, I'm not going to be at church. Even me. Right? If I'm hospitalized, I won't be here. Um, that there's other, and when I'm in India, I won't be here. Uh, I've tried to be here most of the times, even when I'm away, um, but it's a little difficult from there, especially when the places he's taken me are going to be very remote compared to some other places that I've been there in the past. So we come, and we have to be faithful. You have to do this. Otherwise, you are undermining everything. You're giving access not only to the tools, but the manner in which the tools should be used. Okay? And so let's take this illustration and show how it goes in the illustrated world. So I have a set of tools I want my child to learn how to use. I put them in their possession, and they put them in a box, they put them in their closet, and they never get used. And then one day they want to build something, they pull out this box, and they have all these tools, they have no concept of how these tools work because they've never handled them before. Uh, what are they going to build with those? Uh, they're going to build something because they're going to use them for something, but they're not going to build them well. Because it takes time and use and consistency to be able to use tools well. There are certain tools that I know how to use, but because I haven't used them for so long, I have to relearn it. The first time I pull out a chainsaw each year, I kind of have to remind myself all the things that, all the, what, what I have to do and how I have to do it. Let alone if it's been five years since I pull one out, then I'm like really careful and I, I have to think about it. But then after using it a whole season, by the end of the season, I'm like, I'm not even hardly thinking. And then I go to the Bloom Fiesta and I see these guys out there carving stuff out of these chainsaws. I'm like, wow, they really get, they know their tool. We want our children not only to have the tool, but to know how to use it. And so if you're going to give your child a chainsaw, you don't want them to pull it out every now and then, ignorant of how it works, and try to employ it. Right? How many of you gave your kids chainsaws for Christmas? My hand is up, because I did do that one year, right? Julie got a chainsaw, I got a chainsaw. Scott got a chainsaw for Christmas. When they were children, they were smaller than mine, but I don't know that you ever used yours, Brenda. I don't think you, you're not, you're not a chainsaw girl. No, Julie did, Scott does. We're going to teach them, and we're going to show them, and we're going to see them use them regularly so that they know how to put it into practice. You're not just going to give the child the tools. You want to give them the consistency so that they can learn how to use these things and understand their importance. This is a high priority to mom and dad, the highest priority to mom and dad, and so it's a priority to me. What is the highest priority to mom and dad? That's what your children are looking for, and you're telling them by what you are the most faithful at. And if you're more faithful to the gym and working out than you are to going to church, your child understands that. Okay? If you're more faithful at work than going to church or to reading your Bible 
or singing or any of these acts of worship, your child knows that. They pick up on it really fast. And so you need to provide them access and provide it faithfully. That they have access to God's word. They have access to all of these uh, aspects of the Christian life on a regular basis. They have access and they see your example faithfully, consistently, week in, week out, day in, day out. And when parents come to me and they haven't been that, doing that, and they say, what happened? And I'm afraid to tell them, frankly, you haven't been consistent. If you're not consistent, why should they see their relationship with God as a priority? It's not. Even if you say it is, that doesn't go very far to your kids. They see that it isn't a priority. And that's why you give them access and give them access consistently. And they can ignore it. They can set it aside. They can push it away. They can put it on a shelf. They have the authority to do that. But your responsibility is to make sure they are provided with that access. They are provided with that. Um, just like your responsibility is to provide them with food, they can choose to push it away and not eat it um, and, and starve themselves. Uh, that's their prerogative. Your responsibility is to provide it for them. You provide them a nice wardrobe, keep them warm, and they want to go out in short sleeve and shirts in January. Um, that's their foolishness. Your responsibility is to provide for them. They have warm clothes. They choose not to wear warm clothes because it's not cool at, I don't know, it's not cool at school to be warm. It's cool to be cold, I guess. And I see it all the time. I was like, it's dead of winter. What are you doing wearing that? You, and then they, they're blue, you know, but they're cool. Well, they are cool. They're cold. So your responsibility spiritually, provide access to Jesus Christ and the tools they will need to have a good Christian walk. Any questions, comments, discussions? Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you might guard us from being guilty of leading our children to sin against their seemingly natural propensity to want to believe in you, to want to trust you and follow you. And Lord, that we teach them otherwise. Lord, forgive us and guard our, us from showing them unfaithfulness of showing them the wrong priorities, of showing them and keeping them from expressing their uh, faith in you, of not uh, letting them uh, have access to your word, to opportunities to participate in worship, to sing, uh, pray, to um, evangelize, to share the good news with their friends. Lord, uh, forgive us for communicating unfaithfulness to our children and help us to provide for them as not only in our homes but also in our church, provide for them to have all the tools that when they choose to follow after you, they will be well equipped to 
grow into maturity and to find favor before you. Lord, we do pray for our children. We thank you for them. And we pray that they might uh, humble themselves before you and desire to follow you all their days. And we pray that uh, it might be something that um, takes root in their life and that they will never rebel against it. But Lord, should they rebel, we pray that they would come and be reminded by your Spirit of what they've learned in their home and in their church of your word that they might uh, renew a commitment to follow after you. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.